a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Ah, such interesting times we live in. By the way, I got up this morning thinking, man, I am so glad that the snow stopped. We had such a doozy of a blizzard come through last weekend. And uh, I get up early, like really early, between 3 and 4, because, well, I don't know. Benjamin Franklin was onto something, that whole early bird gets the worm thing. I haven't got a worm yet, but I seem to get more done when I uh, roll out of bed at an early hour. My mind is fresh. For the most part, my voice is fresh, but uh, it's, it's kind of a nice quiet time. Nothing else going on in the house. Uh, even the dogs are quiet. So there's time to think, meditate, pray, get the day started, you know, on a, on a good note. And I always like to just kind of stick my head out and just see, well, what kind of day are we facing weather-wise? Hmm. More snow. Like, a lot more snow and more wind and drifting. And I, I don't I don't want to sound like I'm complaining. <clears throat> we need the moisture. We need, you know, the, the water uh, watersheds. Uh, up in the mountains. We need it. We need all of it. But I am so tired of moving snow. I just, I like to spread it out over the course of, oh, I don't know, maybe roughly three months or so, give or take a few weeks. You know, that, that'd be nice. But it seems like winter came all at once. And that's, that's what we're going to get. Oh, and by the way, it's supposed to melt off a good portion of, we're going to be in the forties within the next couple of days. So we, we might actually see some flooding. But other than that, sorry, you know, complaining about the weather, there's an age-old tactic for just eating up some time. But, man, I'll tell you, my heart sank when I stepped outside and went, oh, crap, even the shovel is, <laughs> is halfway buried. So it just it means uh, going to be getting more of a workout. Nevertheless, welcome to the program. This is a place where people who are free thinkers or aspiring to be free thinkers can find information that's worth considering. Okay, I'm not going to tell you, you have to believe it because I said it, but you're going to find good, timely, credible information here based more on principle than upon partisan advantage or ideological purity or anything like that. I spend less time talking about personalities and more time talking about things that you and I can be doing to not only better our position in a world that is growing increasingly uncertain and, and chaotic, but also so that we can make a difference in the sense that um, I'm just going to put this out there. I would guess that the majority of people who listen to this show, and that's, I don't know how many that is. I don't think it's a very big number. But I would guess the majority of people who tune into this program do so because at some level they feel a personal calling. Now, whether it's from God, whether it's from the universe, whether it's just something in their heart tells them you can't just sit back and passively allow all this stuff to happen around you without in some way exerting your influence for good. And if you recognize that stirring, if you recognize that within your own heart, then you are definitely in the right place. Okay, because this is not about me. This show is not about a monument to how great I am and, you know, and, and what I think. This is just me trying to use the tools that God has blessed me with and that he has allowed me to develop over the course of a long career 
to, to share truths that hopefully will lift other people, provide them some light, some encouragement, and motivation to answer that call. To pick up the phone and say, what would you have me do? If you're one of those people, and I'll grant you, it's not everybody. Most people will prefer the more comfortable, more convenient route. I'm here to tell you, it's the right thing to answer it. And your whole life will take on much deeper meaning and significance the moment you do. Now, it's also going to get harder. There's, there are easier paths to take. I'm not going to pretend like, yeah, everything becomes a cakewalk because it doesn't. But for those who answer the call, you recognize you're being handed a premium opportunity to become a more refined, greater version of yourself than even you imagined you could be. Because you're, you're tapping into purpose. Okay, on that note, I know that, that gets kind of metaphysical in a big hurry, right? But I believe it's true. So I want to start, first of all, by thanking the sponsors who make this program possible. A note to uh, quiltandso.com, tmcpnation.com, lifesavingfood.com. I've got them all listed here on the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Also, Ironsight Brewing Company. I just want to take a special moment to single out my friend John Harvey and his new subscription coffee company. And if you're a coffee drinker, I would encourage you, go check this out for yourself. The subscription prices are reasonable. The quality is excellent. We are talking high-quality coffee from the roaster to your cup within 72 hours. And it's more affordable than you might think. Click on the link I provide in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com, and away you go. All right, that said, I'm going to be sharing some very good, useful skills with you today. I'm so thankful to writers like Brandon Smith from alt-market.us. Now, look, recognizing that the future is uncertain, that's not a sign that, that you're paranoid or that you're, you know, hopelessly broken mentally, that, you know, oh, everything's going to crap. It's a sign that you are situationally aware, first of all, because there, there's a lot of things that really are uncertain right now. Some of it by design and some of it just, you know, the natural consequences of choices that have been made. But you can always use that situational awareness to shore up your personal preparedness. And, and this article from Brandon Smith is a primer for American patriots and preppers facing an uncertain future. He gives some very specific recommendations of things that you and I can do that will, in fact, prove very helpful and possibly make all the difference in the world depending upon the circumstances we find ourselves in. You ready? All right, let's dive in. He says the average patriot or prepper is usually a middle-class conservative or libertarian with a tendency towards independent thinking and some experience with economic struggle in their past. Brandon says most of, most of us have made something of ourselves from very little or we had parents that made something of themselves from very little and we watched as children while they climbed their way up the ladder through hard work and merit. So he says our philosophy is based on experience and a willingness to look beyond the veil. Most of the Western public is bombarded with endless messaging about how stable and safe and prosperous our society is. We're constantly slapped in the face with propaganda telling us patriots are not only crazy, but also dangerous. We're the bumbling bad guys in every film and TV show. We're the extremists that refuse to accept that the system works. And if we would just stop trying to be independent from the system, we would find safety and happiness. We're told a lot of things that aren't true. And this is really the first thing that sets preparedness culture apart from everyone else. 
a healthy sense of skepticism when it comes to establishment claims and mainstream assumptions. We will not be sitting idle listening to the band play while the Titanic sinks. We understand, however, that there's a considerable number of people out there that are content to do so. There are numerous and unique motivations for people who delve into the patriot life, and Brandon says, I think there's a perception that it requires some sort of abnormal shift in routine or complete upending of one's existence. He says, if you become a patriot or prepper, you have to live in a compound and wear army garb every day and be suspicious of everyone. That does sound like the caricature, doesn't it? It's a, he says, it's really a very simple addition to the daily grind, a hobby more than anything else. No one's joining a cult. All we are doing is seeking self-sufficiency wherever possible and taking a second look at the claims made by people in power. And he asks the question, which behavior is more bizarre? Being prepared and aware or being willfully ignorant and constantly vulnerable? Now, he says it's also about realism, not pessimism. It's not about living under a cloud of constant doom, only accepting that there are extreme problems in the world that that may require extreme solutions. And Brandon Smith says, all I can say is, as I balance the good with the bad, I find that I still remain an optimist. I believe free people have a chance to turn the tide and dismantle the cabal of influence that has created the instabilities we now face. But he says to do this requires something beyond a vague understanding of freedom and a will to live. He says to change the path of our civilization requires a significant level of dedication to something greater. We need a personal foundation, a mantra, a philosophy that adds structure to our efforts. In other words, preparedness is not only about you. Survival is not the end game. Preparedness is just a means to an end, which is why patriotism is also essential. We prepare so that we can fight for a better future, a future that some of us may not live to enjoy. And from here, he says, to this point, I will list what I believe are the top most important ideals for the modern patriot slash prepper. These are the rules that I plan to follow in the chaotic world going forward. And he says, I think that if a majority of those dedicated to liberty do the same, We just may make it through the pyre with the majority of our humanity intact. Now, as you can hear, we're coming up on our first break. And so we'll take that quick break and then we'll come back and I'll share with you some of the specific rules that Brandon Smith recommends for American patriots and preppers facing an uncertain future. Now, you may agree, you may disagree, but I promise you, These are worth your consideration at the very least. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. So I'm sharing this article from Brandon Smith from alt-market.us. And I hope it's one that you will take a very close look at because he makes a whole lot of sense when he offers his recommendations for American patriots and preppers facing facing an uncertain future. Maybe you're way ahead of the curve on this, but this still seems like good enough advice for those who are kind of taking their first tentative steps. You will find this to be some pretty solid advice. So let's start rule number one, prepare for others, not just yourself. Now listen to what he's saying here. In the midst of crisis, Brandon writes, there will come a time where you will have to help other people. 
You may not like other people. You may not trust other people. You might feel like crawling into a bunker and never dealing with another living soul until the breakdown has run its course. But he says it doesn't matter. If you have a conscience, then you will be faced with the reality of need. Other people's need. Do they deserve what they get? Well, maybe some of them do, while others do not. Knowing which is which will be up to you. Having the means to aid the innocent is paramount. He says, trust me on this. You do not want to find yourself in a situation where good people need your help and you are incapable because you failed to plan ahead. You do not want that weighing on your spirit. Now, I've, I've visited this thought a couple of times, well, more than a couple of times over the last few decades. I, th- I would say I have been a serious preparedness-minded individual for <clears throat> probably at least the last 30 years. About the time my first child arrived, she turns 30 this year, uh, that, was, that was the turning point for me where I was like, wow, I have a responsibility here for this new little life to protect and provide for her and for my wife and for any other kids that come along, and five more did. But I learned along the way that that idea of, well, you know, what's mine is mine, and you try and come and ask me for stuff, I'll shoot you. And I know people who have that attitude. But at the same time, I've, I've reasoned it out in my mind. Could I sit there, you know, with a, with a well-stocked pantry and with, with preparedness gear and knowing that, okay, I'm ready to weather the storm and watch my neighbor's kids starve? I couldn't do it. Now, some people can, and some of them, well, they deserve it for not preparing when they had a chance. I get that. But all of us, at some point, had to make the decision, you know what, I'm going to take this action in my self-interest. All I'm saying is, it's a great idea to have something that you can impart to other people who are in need. It doesn't mean you have to give it all away. And I, and I do have the, this, this rule, which, you know, I, which is, I will gladly share with anybody who will let me help them. But if someone comes to violently take it, well, that's going to be another story. Does that make sense? Ethically, to me, that seems like the the best way to bridge that gap between, you know, becoming the the handout center for the the unprepared versus, no, I'm here to help people. And by the way, this is one of those things where I would say, you know, keep your relationship with God tight. There may be times where you need to seek inspiration as to, well, who needs my help? Or, for that matter, even recognizing a need that may not be perfectly obvious to everyone. Okay, enough about that. Rule number two from Brandon Smith, survival alone is not victory. He says, if you are alive but the rest of the world is enslaved, then you've ultimately lost. Winning is not possible until the root enemy is erased from existence. If the oligarchy that sabotages us is able to use a collapse to gain power while avoiding consequences... Well, then they have prevailed, and no matter how well you think you can hide, eventually they will find you too. And he says, do not think for a second that your life is worth more than the freedom of humanity as a whole. It's not. This next one hits hard. Rule number three, fear is transitory. Regret is forever. Now, Brandon says, many people's lives are ruled by fear. They're incessantly worried about what they could lose if they take action, if they deviate from the norm, if they upset the wrong people or rock the wrong boat. Human beings naturally seek acceptance and validation from their peers in society. We want to provide we want to belong rather to a tribe. We want to remain comfortable and secure, avoiding conflict and struggle at all costs. But he says there are worse things than struggle and pain and disapproval, such as regret. Knowing that we could have done something profound, 
Yet we chose instead to sit on our butt and do nothing because standing up is scary. That kind of regret is a poison that eats most people alive, especially in old age when we're less physically able to intervene in the course of history. He says, personally, I don't really understand the fear of death or the fear of confrontation or conflict or the fear of facing adversity. I don't get it. None of us is going to live forever, so we do what we can to make this life count. What do I fear, perhaps more than anything, is being useless when I'm called to make a difference. So he says, do not let fear hold you back from what you know is right. Rule number four, you do not need to become the monster to defeat the monster. Brandon says, war is hell. That's not in question. And make no mistake, we are in the middle of a war right now. But he says, ask yourself, what are you fighting for in the first place? Is it a set of principles and beliefs, or is it simply to win no matter the cost? On the other hand, there are also people with the tendency to use the the turn-the-other-cheek mantra to argue against taking any action in self-defense. Sometimes they're afraid. Sometimes they truly believe their principles must be held to the letter, even to the detriment of everything else. It's a razor-thin line to walk between righteous nonviolence and monstrous indifference. Brandon says, my position, when someone declares war on you, you fight back and put them down flat. But he says, just make sure you don't lose your soul in the process. Rule number five, be invisible when you must. Be visible when you must. He says, many preppers and patriots are obsessed with the concept of invisibility, the concept of the gray man and the tactic of blending in and going unnoticed. And while this serves a purpose in some situations, there are also advantages to being seen and being visible. There's a story of a Roman general talking to a Roman senator as they walk around the markets of the capital. The senator takes note that many of the slaves within Rome look like regular citizens and lamented the fact that he could not, lead, could not tell them rather apart from everyone else. He suggested to the general that they force the slaves to wear armbands as identification. Well, the general spoke up saying that idea was a foolish one. The senator was shocked by the general's opposition and asked, why? The general explained, the slave population is vast, but the slaves have no idea. As you say, they blend in with the citizens and the leadership. If we give them all armbands, they will see how many of them there are. they are. They will realize they greatly outnumber us and will be tempted to revolt. Better that they do not know. There are times when visibility is more important than invisibility. There are times when invisibility is the path to defeat. By the way, I, I have kind of taken this, this latter approach of um, I do what I do right out in the open. I'm not hiding it from anybody. And yeah, it attracts some unwanted attention and it attracts a fair amount of criticism. But it's not like I'm trying to be sneaky here. I demand freedom, not just for me, but for everybody. And if I'm a big enough pain in the butt, (laughs) hopefully I land on somebody's list. Rule number six, in every moment of chaos, there is a moment of peace. Brandon says, chaos is mostly a product of a mental reaction, a subconscious decision to panic instead of remaining calm and lucid. Chaos is created by people more than events. It's how we process those events that makes them a disaster or a moment of triumph. That is to say, in every moment of chaos, there is a moment of peace. The question is, can you restrain your impulse to panic and instead act with conscious and deliberate calm? Now, to be sure, he says, preparedness has a lot to do with this. There's a common misconception about preppers that we're always afraid and paranoid. But he says the reality is the opposite. We are rarely afraid or paranoid because we've trained ourselves to be ready for most dangers. 
The people that are afraid, the people who usually panic, are those that are unprepared. Beyond this, though, is a deeper mindset that has embraced the inevitability of chaos. We know that the world is built upon a precarious house of cards, and history shows us that this house of cards will inevitably fall. To to assume otherwise, rather, is naive or insane. Now, we're getting to the best one of all. This is his final rule, but we've got to take a very quick break. So we're going to come back to that one and finish up this commentary from Brandon Smith from alt-market.us. A primer for American patriots and preppers facing an uncertain future. By the way, there's a link to this in my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Show notes for January 17th, 2024. Holy cow, this month is going fast. All right, we'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I hope you are finding this information that I'm sharing with you in this commentary from Brandon Smith. I hope you find it useful. Not only is it practical, okay? He's he's giving very practical advice, but I think spiritually this is on target. And to me, that's that's almost more important than just simply the temporal preparedness. Yep, yep, got the beans, bullets, and band-aids. We're ready to roll. I think uh, the mindset and, and what's in your heart is also going to matter. And that brings us to rule number seven of Brandon's primer for American patriots and preppers facing an uncertain future. Rule number seven, what we do now echoes in eternity. He says, I can't help but quote this piece of wisdom from Marcus Aurelius. He says, I don't think I could say it any better. Understand that the future is a summation of the actions we take today. Whether we are personally remembered or not is irrelevant. Tomorrow is decided by what we do or don't do. There's nothing that can stop this. We are the decision makers, not the globalists, not governments. We are the people who decide what the next era will look like. Brandon reminds us there are moments in history, rare moments when the confluence of events and crises rest at the point of a fulcrum. It is a nexus, a crossroads that will determine the course of civilization for centuries to come. And there are people who will encounter this storm and do nothing more than sit back and drift along with the tides of fate. But he says there are others who are battling for the chance to control the rudder of the ship, aiming humanity to either free shores or the depths of the abyss. When all our lives are tallied in the great beyond, we each may be faced with the terrible question, what did you contribute? And he says, as patriots and freedom fighters, I hope that the moment comes when we will be able to say that we left nothing undone, that we conducted ourselves with honor, that we set the world right again. I know there are people who say, that sounds pretty lofty for a bunch of just mere people, (laughs) average citizens. But there's nothing I disagree with in in this primer that Brandon Smith has provided. I hope you'll check it out. I think it'd be well worth your time. All right, let's move on. Um, I'm going to jump ahead for a moment here. I normally save the article of the day for the last segment, but I'm going to jump ahead to this because this builds on what Brandon was talking about in terms of, okay, you're an average person. What are you going to do? So let me ask you this question. What do Tank Man, you know, the guy from Tiananmen Square, Thomas Paine, and the White Rose have in common? Got this great article from George F. Smith. I picked this up off LewRockwell.com earlier today. Are you an enemy of the state? 
And the answer, of course, is that uh, the people I just mentioned here, these were common people like you and me who courageously called out tyranny and became enemies of the state. Now, George F. Smith, in his article, talks about uh, not uh, not just those three, but Donald Trump, Julian Assange, Alex Jones, Rudy Giuliani, they're all in deep trouble with the U.S. state. So he asks, how about you? Most likely you feel safe because your voice hasn't attracted a large following. What would the state's enforcers gain by attacking a little guy? They're big game hunters. Pull the plug on the big guys and their everyday followers float away like bathtub water down a drain. Now he says, possibly you believe you aren't really attacking the state with your social media posts, just the corrupt regime currently in power. As long as your words don't go too far off the rails, you think trouble will leave you alone. That's the theory, at least. He says, most libertarians are not Rothbardians. They think the state is necessary, but needs to be slashed, not done away with, much like the heroic Javier Mille is doing in Argentina. Their comfort zone is a minimalist state and they write or lecture from that position. As such, these people are explicit defenders of the state per se, and therefore cannot be considered enemies of the state. But he says the SWAT team hacking at your door could care less. Why would they pick on you, an inconspicuous promoter of seditious thoughts? The big guys have money and influence to defend themselves. You have nothing. You would be at their mercy, and they have no mercy. Would you stand your ground or crumble like a shack during a hurricane? Would you waive your First Amendment rights at their weapons, or would you forget your own name? Your story would shake the social media world exactly their reason for attacking you. So is it really worth your life defying the state? He reminds us in June 1989, tank men stood in front of a column of Chinese tanks as they advanced on Beijing's Tiananmen Square to crush a student protest. No one knows who he was or what happened to him. Yet for a few tense moments... He stopped the progression of the tanks by holding up his hands before being swept away by Chinese officials. He did this in daylight while in full public view. Most people are asleep at 6 in the morning when the SWAT boys come knocking. Don't think about being an unarmed senior citizen will protect you, or a five foot two unarmed woman. As Dr. Simone Gold told LiveSite News, it was dramatic, and what I want to say is that I weep for our country. If you can pull in a person like me and have the FBI break down your door with 20 guns, shackle you in handcuffs, and drag you off, I mean, it was really terrible. I'm telling you, America, this can happen to you. Next, he talks about the firebrand Thomas Paine. Perhaps the power of your writing will elevate you to the state's crosshairs. George F. Smith says... Thomas Paine, an Englishman, wrote Common Sense as a talented commoner living in Philadelphia, and it inspired a revolution. He even took up arms against his native country and joined Washington's army. Paine wrote another inspiring piece in late December 1776 that the general had his officers read to their ragged troops on Christmas Day. With their spirits temporarily boosted, they seized Trenton from the hungover Hessians early the next morning. It was a pivotal victory for the Patriots. Payne, being an ocean away, paid no price for his treason. Later, while in England, Payne wrote another book that did get him in trouble, Rights of Man, Part the First, published in 1791, written as a defense of the French Revolution and as an answer to MP, uh, Member of Parliament Edmund Burke's attack on it, expressed Payne's undying contempt for government. Lay then the axe to the root and teach government's humanity. It is their sanguinary punishments which corrupt mankind. 
In England, the punishment is in certain cases by hanging, drawing, and quartering. The heart of the sufferer is cut out and held up to the view of the populace. And in notes number 24, it is scarcely possible to touch on any subject that will not suggest an allusion to some corruption in governments. For part the second, published later, Payne fled to France to escape arrest, and while there, the English convicted him in absentia of seditious libel. They would have ceremoniously hung him if he ever returned to England, which he never did. Nevertheless, according to Payne biographer Jack Fruchtman Jr., other than the Bible, the rights of man outsold all other books in English history. Now, Payne lacked the distinction of even being regarded as a hero. And George Smith says, look, as I wrote in an earlier essay, the man who inspired the country to secede from a corrupt state had six people in attendance at his funeral in 1809, none of whom were dignitaries. Next, we come to the White Rose, led by five students and a professor at the University of Munich. The White Rose was an intellectual resistance group in Nazi Germany that lasted from June 27, 1942 to February 18, 1943. On February 22nd, three members, Sophie Scholl, Hans Scholl, and Christoph Probst, were guillotined by the People's Tribunal in Munich, ending the movement. The students got their hands on a manual printing press and began to write texts that encouraged readers to resist the Nazis. They urged readers to engage in passive resistance, reject Nazi philosophy, sabotage the war effort, and break through their apathy. Do not forget that every nation deserves the government that it endures, they wrote in the first pamphlet, peppering calls to rebellion with poetry and historical references. They also painted graffiti on walls with the phrase, Hitler the mass murderer, and other treasonous expressions. Anti-Nazi speech was carefully monitored and investigated by the Gestapo, and the danger of a denunciation was ever-present. On February 18, 1943, Hans and Sophie took a suitcase filled with leaflets to the University of Munich. They were caught throwing extra pamphlets into a courtyard from a balcony, arrested and interrogated by the Gestapo. Dozens of the group members were subsequently imprisoned. Now here George F. Smith brings it around full circle and says, Each of us should inventory our degree of bravery for the times ahead. Tankman, Payne, the White Rose, and others risked their lives opposing tyranny. And he asks, Are you ready to die, if necessary, in defense of your convictions? Are they the backbone of your life or just ideas you're flirting with? Is death preferable to slavery? Or is slavery death by other means? We must each decide and act accordingly. That's a pretty heavy topic, right? Maybe you're feeling uncomfortable. Even if you feel like, well, you know, I'm very committed, but that's still the kind of thing that could make a person uncomfortable because, well, it cuts through all the fluff and gets right down to the nitty-gritty of here's what's at stake. Look, I can't speak for you. Your conscience needs to be your guide in such matters. But can I share with you what my conscience tells me? My conscience tells me that it is the right thing to speak up. My conscience wants to be a person wants me to be the kind of person that one day in the great hereafter can meet individuals like Sophie Scholl and be worthy to stand there in her presence and tell her that your example inspired me to stand likewise. I take that seriously. And if you don't have such a hero to inspire you, maybe it's time to find one. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the final segment of today's show. Ah, man. Excuse my sniffles here. I have uh, spent a little bit of time outside already today, and uh, that uh, that cold weather is very unforgiving. Nonetheless, let's uh, let's move forward. Three great articles that I would like to bring to your attention here. I'm going to start with one that uh, I thought was particularly interesting, just because it it added a brand new uh, a brand new word to my lexicon. And maybe this is one you want to add to your vocabulary as well. The word is verbicide. This is from Jeff Minnick, writing for IntellectualTakeout.org. The murdering of meaning of words. And I really appreciate uh, how he describes this as verbicide. And he gives you some really solid examples of, of how words have changed meaning to the point that it's like something straight out of Orwell's 1984. Remember, they had war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is, is strength. Inscribed on the uh, Ministry of Truth. That was the motto of, of Oceania a nation governed by the party. But the party was all about uh, obfuscating the meanings of words, shredding absolute truth and reality. They worked semantical magic. They altered the language, controlled the people. We have something very similar happening in our world today. Politicians of both political parties, lots of academics working diligently to perform these same parlor tricks. So here are a couple examples of their linguistic sleight of hand. Racism. Now, originally, racism meant a skin-colored-based prejudice or bigotry directed by one person or group whose uh, whose skin was a different shade than the targets. Today, however, many argue that only white people qualify as racists. White people are demonized as such solely on the basis of their skin color. Sounds kind of racist, doesn't it? Without even the slightest hint of irony, racist writers and speakers rail incessantly against the evils of whiteness and white privilege. Thanks in large part to these bigots, hope for a colorblind society seems dead and buried. Next, he goes on to diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's just racism and sexism disguised by language. Then we have the word extremist. This is one of the favorites of uh, certain politicians and, and people within the media here in my home state of Idaho. By the way, if you are an extremist, that simply means you are a conservative who is not a gay communist. That's pretty much it. An extremist, according to Jeff Minnick's online dictionary, is a person who holds extreme or fanatical political or religious views, especially one who resorts to or advocates extreme action. Now, you remember that September 1st, 2022 speech to the nation where Joe Biden lambasted Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans? Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. In other words, a man who served as president between 2017 rather, and 2021 without, notably, the republic's consequent collapse, the millions who voted him into office and the millions more who voted for him to be president in 2020 are all extremists. In other words, the word extremist today is just a smear applied with a broad brush and little real meaning. How about this one? Sex education. Now, Jeff says, I remember when that was introduced to American schools as a measure to cut teen pregnancy rates and reduce sexually transmitted diseases. So today it goes under the innocuous title, Comprehensive Sex Education, but the program itself is graphic, radical, and anti-family. In fact, there's, uh, this is from a commentator and former educator named Callie Fontania, 
who says it's important to remember that for the left, the term sex education is just a euphemism for radical gender ideology and a host of other inappropriate perversions pushed on children. It bears little resemblance to the facts and anatomy-based approach to sex that you and I remember from our childhood. And from here, Jeff goes into other euphemisms, uh, top surgery, which means a bilateral mastectomy for females, termination of pregnancy, that's a substitute for abortion, undocumented immigrant has replaced illegal alien, but he says, worst of all is, my truth is not your truth. It smacks of tolerance, but it erases entirely any concept of truth. So the point here is, uh, Jeff Minnick is saying, defend the true meaning of words and you're defending liberty. Great article. There's much more to it. I hope you'll take a look at it. Also, I'm including an article here from Rob Jenkins. This is from the Brownstone Institute. This is on the collapse of credentialism. Now, when he says credentialism, he refers to that as the pursuit of dubious credentials, like degrees in pseudoscience and quasi-academic subjects, solely for the purpose of advancing one's own career and personal policy preferences. Now, the term might also apply to those with legitimate credentials who believe in their hubris that being an expert gives them the right to tell everyone else how to live. And he gives the example of former Harvard president Claudine Gay's fall from grace, where I think she was probably one of those first ones, seeking advanced degrees in pseudoscience and quasi-academic subjects so that she could become a career academic, untouchable, tenured, but even she pushed it far enough to the, to the point of ridiculousness that they had to have her step down. So the good news here is, much to the dismay of the credentialed class, Americans' tolerance of this system started to wane about four years ago when those experts and credentialed people in authority started forcing things on us that some of us, and now perhaps many of us recognize, were not in our best interest, and for that matter, weren't even true. Masks, social distancing, school closures, no basis in science. And that trend continued into 2021 when the much-ballyhooed vaccines failed to prevent people from contracting or transmitting the virus, just as the conspiracy theorists had predicted. So right now, there is less trust today in higher education than ever. There's less people putting stock in credentials. And that's generally a good thing, unless you genuinely need a credential to work in your field. What should you do in that case? Well, actually, I'm looking forward to Rob Jenkins' next column, because he'll talk about that. But it makes me think about, you know, I'm hearing a lot of talk about, yeah, these, uh, some of these airlines are boasting about their diversity hires. And look, you know, this is going to sound like you're picking on, you know, the unprivileged or the, the people who've, who've had to fight up against all these odds. I don't care that there's diversity in the air crew that is flying my jetliner to whatever destination I'm traveling to. I don't care. I just want people who are competent at their jobs. I want the merit of what they are able to bring to the table to be the reason they got the job, and that uh, reason being they were the best damn student or the best damn pilot in, in the group. Their sexual preferences, their skin color, their ideological alignment matters not one bit. And if we see this, con- this trend continue, basically we're going to find ourselves living out idiocracy. If you haven't seen that movie, I recommend it, but beware, there's some pretty, pretty bad language and pretty uh, toilety humor, but uh, it, it makes an excellent point. 
when there are no consequences, when when merit is discarded as you know we we don't need that. Everybody you know can can uh, anybody can be a doctor. Anybody can be a heart surgeon. I'll just pick up some valves at Home Depot and pop them in. You know when I get home. Nope, it shouldn't work like that. Last but not least, um, not to not to pick on journalists, but you do understand that uh, the convenience of how and where we get our information, how we try to stay informed, that's going to be our undoing. If you're not doing your own fact-checking, if you're not willing to go and dig deep on whatever issue it is that you're trying to learn about, you are very likely to be misled because today's journalists seek power, not truth. And this is what uh, J.B. Shirk writes about. This is on AmericanThinker.com. They, they want to control public opinion. They want to influence public opinion. How do you destroy a free press? Well, you fill it with people who hate free speech, look down on the poor and powerless, and believe that only their opinions matter, and then you pay them to repeat and defend everything that the ruling class brands as official truth. I'll give you an example of what this looks like. There's a legislator in my home state of Idaho who is being stalked, as in this guy is leaving him filthy, just threatening, menacing messages on his phone, driving up and down past his house, you know, in the middle of the night. Uh, while this legislator's in Boise, you know, he's driving past this guy's family, um, has a big truck with a sign on it about abort Senator Scott Herndon. This was called out by people who said, hey, this is wrong. And there's a group of, uh, how can I put this? They're, they're Marxist wannabes calling themselves Idaho Leaders United. They're, they're united against what they call extremism, which means anybody who is conservative in any way, shape, or form. And they're always talking about Idaho is too great for hate, and we would denounce, you know, all hate. And anybody who's ever said anything even mildly controversial, we invite all others to join us in denouncing this person. Well, this was brought to their attention, and people said, hey, Idaho Leaders United, when are you going to say something about this individual threatening a sitting state senator? You know what their response was? Well, when we have seen credible reporting on this, then we will uh, be glad to uh, denounce it. In other words, if it's not coming from their pet commentators or reporters, they're not even going to consider it. Yeah, that's a little bit of hubris, but it also shows the absolute intellectual dishonesty that's at work here. This is The Brian Hyde Show.